And, and that's really uh, not best day ever, but this really is one of the themes of the book of Galatians that we're studying all summer, is that Jesus is the best, right? Jesus is better and, and Jesus is good. And today Paul is going to kind of transition to this idea that Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Now here's the truth of the matter. Just because something or someone is best or even better doesn't mean everything in every other category is irrelevant. So like, let me give you a food example. I love a good steak. It's one of my favorite things on the planet to eat. I love a good steak, but I still will enjoy chicken from time to time and pork. And those things are both good. You might prefer salty snacks to sweet. You might be a salty person. (laughs) You might be, right, uh, a salty person. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy a good dessert, uh, ice cream cake with ice cream. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy that from time to time. You, you may love a good action movie, right? It doesn't mean that the movie Notebook didn't tug at your heartstrings a little bit. You're not dead inside. Shut up, you're crying, right? Um, and so we're continuing on in Galatians today, and there's been these two kind of banners Uh, of Galatians. And one is that Jesus is the best. He is enough. His love is enough. His sacrifice is enough. His kindness is enough. It it is enough to change us. It is enough to transform us. It is enough to forgive us. But then the second banner is, is that Jesus is for everyone. Everyone has the same availability to him to come to a relationship with him. And so the question becomes, as we kind of plow on here, is is Jesus is better than kind of the old covenant, the, the old way of doing things? If Jesus is better, if Jesus is the best, then what is the place of the law for all of us living in these kind of New Testament Christianity times? What is the place of the law? Is it irrelevant? Uh, should it be done away with? And believe it or not, um, this is actually something that uh, the Christianity has been debating and talking about over the last couple years. And so Paul covered this in Hebrews. Jesus covered it in the Sermon on the Mount, two series that we've done the last couple years. But now Paul is going to cover it again in, in Galatians. And so the idea of this is that Jesus is better, but the law still has a purpose and the law still has a place. And we want to make sure we get this right because it's really important. If we, get, if we get this messed up, we'll talk later about what happens. But let's plow ahead in uh, the book of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. That God has made a promise to you and God has made a promise to me through Abraham. So years ago, God chose Abraham, right? And and God knows why he did that. But he said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And essentially what he says to Abraham is start walking. I'll tell you when to stop, right? And so Abraham, for the most part, does that. He brings along uh, his nephew Lot, which is a train wreck, but different sermon for a different day. And part of the, the promise of this is leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And God says, this is my promise to you. This is what I'm going to do. And here's what it says. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this becomes kind of uh, the structure of the rest of your Bible. For a chunk of your Bible, it is family building. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, don't have any children. And so God ends up building Abraham's family. For another chunk of the scripture, after the family's been formed and they've been fruitful and multiplied and there's a lot of them, then it becomes nation building. And God gives the nation the law and he gives them some land and he blesses whoever blesses them and curses whoever curses them. And then in Matthew chapter two, we get introduced to Jesus. And this is what is called then the age of blessing, the age of grace. This is how God's promise to Abraham came to all people, that through Jesus, right, starts with a family, went to a nation, and eventually through that nation, Jesus was born. Through Jesus, blessing would come to the entire world. And you and I have been blessed by Jesus. And it is for you, and it is for me, it is for your neighbor. This blessing is available to everyone through faith. So here's what Paul is addressing, all right? The argument the Judaizers were making is that 430 years after God made this promise to Abraham, Moses received the law. And what the Judaizers were, were claiming is that the law set aside the promise, and so now people forever are going to be bound by the law was the argument they were making. And so they were saying, man, if you're going to be blessed, it's going to be through the law, not through Jesus. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be through the law, not through Jesus. If you're going to receive joy, hope, and peace, it's going to be through the law, not through Jesus. They were arguing that the law had set aside the promise. And Paul is making the argument, the law is not allowed to do that promise comes first. Even in the narrative, it came first. The promise came first to Abraham, and then eventually the law came. But the law does not have the authority. The law does not have the ability to set aside promise. So this promise, according to Paul, is still available to you, and it's still available to me. And we understand this idea of promise and law, and here's why we understand it because we live in the United States of America. And way back, we just celebrated it this week, way back when our country was being founded, there was this thing called the Declaration of Independence. And in that declaration, our forefathers declared this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And part of the core value of this nation is that we protect this promise. We protect these unalienable rights. And so our, our uh, Congress and our president is never supposed to sign a law that would impede someone from life. They are never supposed to sign a law that impedes someone from freedom. They are never supposed to sign a law that impedes somebody from pursuing happiness. That law should never conflict with promise and law should never conflict with contract. So what Paul is teaching here is this. The law does not set aside the promise made to Abraham. This promise will always and has always been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the blessing to the entire world. So in Jesus, all right, we want to be clear on this in Galatians, because this is a major theme of Galatians. In Jesus, we find blessing. In Jesus, we find grace. 
In Jesus, we find life. In Jesus, we find everything we need. And so if the law did not set aside the promise, then Paul's going to explore this idea, then what on earth is the purpose of the law? If the law doesn't set aside promise, then does like promise set aside law, right? Does it go in reverse? What is the purpose of the law? And Paul starts there in verse 19. He says, why then was the law given at all, right? Thank you, Paul, right? We were just asking that question, right? It was added because of transgressions, sin, until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So I think it's a really good question, all right? So if our promise to Abraham is secure and blessing and grace and life, they come from Jesus, what is the purpose of law? What I wanna do for a few minutes, if you'll allow me, well, I have the microphone, so this is what we're gonna do, all right? I, um, is I'd like to take a kind of way up in the sky kind of biblical approach, what the Bible says about the purpose of the law, and then we're going to kind of see what Paul says, but this will add some clarity to it. First purpose of the law is to reveal the holy character of the eternal God. Leviticus 19.2, Levit- Leviticus 27 and 8. So here's the deal. You can tell a lot about a person by the laws they establish. So if I were to come over to your house and I were to observe your family, I can tell a lot about you as a person by the laws that you have of your home. So if I spent some time at your house, maybe I would walk away and I would say, man, respect is like super important to this family. Or or maybe I would walk away and say, man, nutrition is super important to this family. Exercise is super important to this family. Reading is super important to this family. I wouldn't even have to spend much time with your family, but if I just sat back and observed, little mouse in the room sort of thing, uh, if I just observed your family, I could say, man, this is what is important to them by the rules they have established. Read God's law and you'll discover what's really important to him. You'll find out life is really important to God. Justice is really important to God. Family is really important to God. Integrity is really important to God. And this, regardless of the promise to us fulfilled in Jesus, this makes the law really valuable no matter what. That in the law, we can find out what, what is really important to our God, what, what, what is really valuable to him. Number two, the law set apart the nation of Israel as distinct from all other nations. Right? So this is the original intent of the law, that when the law was given, the people of God had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years before they became a nation, and God wanted them to know once they were free, God wanted, to know, wanted them to know that while all, the, all other nations of the world operate this way, because you have received my grace, and because I have freed you from slavery, because you are my sons and my daughters, you are going to behave in a different way. So every other nation may allow for murder back then. But as my people, as God's holy people, you're going to value life. All other people may uh, engage in infidelity. No, as my people, saved by my grace and and having made you free, you're going to be faithful. Every other nation may care about themselves. You're going to serve each other. And, And part of the purpose of the law was to help Israel be distinct from their neighbors and from the people around them. As a side note, once Jesus came and the promise was fulfilled, uh, this is actually a purpose that we see uh, with Jesus as well. Let me show you this. Uh, The apostle Paul said this to the church in Ephesus. 
He said, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, man, in the new kind of system, in the Jesus system, he's going to invade our hearts, he's going to invade our mind, and he's going to make things that seem just totally normal in our society, he's going to make it seem uh, different and strange to us, and he's going to cause us to look different and strange to the people around us. We are called to live different lives. We are called to live different lives. And this will always make the law, always, always, always make the law a valuable thing because we can kind of read what different looks like. And this will especially make the person of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really, really important because you can read the law. In Jesus, you see the law, right? And reading the law is one thing, but then seeing Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seeing how he lived, seeing how he operated, it's just different. It's better, all right? Here's number three, reveal the sinfulness of man, right? The law is meant to point out our sinfulness so that we might be motivated to experience grace. The law was never meant to invoke this feeling of, I've got this. This isn't so hard, right? I, I, can, I can do this, right? This is why on those Bible reading plans, and I've fallen into, into this too, you start reading the Bible and you start in like Genesis, and you're like, oh, these stories are really interesting. I really like these. Exodus is really, really cool. And then, like, you get to Leviticus. <laughs> and you're like, I'm just going to skip ahead to Matthew. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it'll be okay. I'm just going to skip forward. <laughs> right? We all do it. And part of the reason we do it is it is meant to invoke in us. Uh, I, that's how the original Greek is literally translated. <laughs> it is meant to invoke in us, I need help. I need a savior. I, I need the spirit. It is meant to invoke in that, um, invoke that in us. Last one, uh, second to last one, but the, the last one's the rest of the sermon. So um, provide forgiveness through sacrifice and offerings. There is grace in the Old Testament. There's a sacrificial system for the Jewish people primarily, but it's complicated. Uh, it it, it uh, involved year, uh, yearly sacrifices for sin. There was expensive traveling to Jerusalem. Uh, but part of the law was an expectation that God's people would have that, I, I can't do that. I need help. And, and then it would motivate them to offer sacrifice for their sins. And that will always be a valuable part of law, that we would see our sinfulness and we would be motivated to find grace. Now, there's one more function of the law. And uh, I want to show it to you because I think it's really valuable and I think it's really important. I think it's the main function of the law and in regards to how we view Jesus. Paul says this. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. The law is not opposed to the promise. It's not. 
right? For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Jesus Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So question, is the law opposed to the promises God made to Abraham? Right? Is the law opposed to that, this idea that blessing comes from Jesus? that grace comes from Jesus, that life comes from Jesus. He says, no, the law and Jesus are meant to work together. And he gives us two illustrations. And then as I was reading this and studying for this, I thought of a third one that you are dismissive if you want, but I'm gonna share that towards the end of the sermon. But Paul gives us two illustrations. One of them is the illustration of jail. Right? And, and he says that the law held us in custody, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So truth time. I've never been arrested. Surprise, right? Um, I've never been arrested. I've never been to jail. But I have been to a Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> and I feel like they're the same. Um, so... Some of you love Joanne. That is my favorite line I've ever given in a sermon, just as a side note. So I, I appreciate the awkward laughter because you know I just ticked a lot of people off, and I did. But you may love Joanne's. It's totally cool. All right. I, I, I'll tell you what Joanne's does for me. Every once in a while, Cheryl has needed something from Joanne Fabrics, and I have decided to go along. And the minute I step foot in a Joanne Fabrics, here's what Joanne Fabrics does to me. I immediately start thinking about being outside of Joanne Fabrics, <laughs> right? So I start thinking about movies I could go to. I start thinking about the park. Uh, I, I start thinking about having a tooth removed at the dentist. All, all better things than Joanne Fabrics, right? Um, this is what being held in captivity does. It creates longing. Right? And this is, did you read the longing in, in Gentiles as I, was, as I was reading that? This longing for Jesus being held in captivity in the law uh, until the time that true faith would be revealed. Faith in Jesus, the ability to have blessing, the ability to receive grace, the ability to live life. This is what captivity does. It creates longing. Visit any prison at, at any time and you will find in that prison overwhelming longing. Longing for them to see family, longing for them to embrace children, longing to live an independent life, longing. And I hear Paul describing longing in this text. So one of the things, one of the ways the law works with Jesus is one of the functions of the law as you read it and as you study it, the law is supposed to create in you a longing for Jesus. This is what the law is supposed to do. It is supposed to create a longing for Jesus, a longing for grace when you get to Leviticus and you're like, oh, I'm in trouble. A longing for his grace. That's what Leviticus is supposed to do. It is supposed to create in you a longing for grace, a longing for his example for when, when you don't know what the law would say about what you should do, but you can study Jesus and, and see what he would do. 
a longing for his sacrifice, that is one perfect sacrifice for all, not just for the Jews, but for everybody. A longing for his words, a longing for his spirit, a longing for his joy, hope, and peace. This is what captivity does. This is what captivity does. It creates in you a sense of longing. And so the law is valuable in this way, right? The law with its drudgery and its overwhelming expectations and its hardness to understand, this is what the law is supposed to do. If you can stick with it, the law is supposed to create in you, I need a savior, I need an example, I I need a sacrifice, I need some grace, I need new life, I need the spirit, I need Jesus. And it's supposed to create new longing. So illustration number one is the illustration of jail. Illustration number two is the illustration of the guardian or the schoolmaster. All right, NIV translates this word um, that uh, there was a guardian. The law was like a guardian until the time that Jesus came. And and, uh, the NIV translates it as guardian. A lot of other translations translate this as schoolmaster or principal. So here's what you can imagine. Imagine you're taking your son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter to school for the very first time, right? And you're walking up to the schoolhouse and you can tell that your, uh, your five-year-old is freaked out to be going to school for the very first time, right? I remember this day, right? Sam was freaked out to be going for the very first time. And you walk up and the principal's there waiting for you. The schoolmaster is there waiting for you. And he can see that your son or daughter is freaked out. And so he kind of gets down on his knees, kind of eye level with them and says, you know, what is your name? I'm principal so-and-so. It is nice to meet you. And kind of engages them in conversation. And then at some point he looks at mom or dad and he decides to intervene. And he says, hey, would it be okay if I took you to your classroom so you could meet your teacher? And a good guardian a good schoolmaster takes your child by the hand, takes him to the classroom, and introduces him to the teacher. This is the purpose of the law. The law is like that principle. The law is like that guardian. And what the law does is it comes up to us as we read it and as we study it, and it says, hey, let me take you by the hand. Watch this. Let me take you by the hand and let me introduce you to your teacher. And the law takes us to Jesus. And I am preaching better than you're responding. But this is, this is good, beautiful news. So the law is relevant. The law is important as a thing that comes to us and says, hey, let me introduce you to your teacher. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who is your example. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who is your grace giver. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who is going to bring you life. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who changes everything. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who secures your eternity. And we are now free, because the law does that, because the law says, here's your teacher, and hands us over to the teacher. Because the law does this, the Bible says we are now free not free to do whatever we want. Are you crazy? Our our freedom was purchased with a great price. Another sermon for another day, around Galatians 4 or so. But we are free to follow Jesus by faith in him, and he is greater, and he is better than the law. So, as I was studying this, I thought of one other illustration. I don't even know why I thought of it this way, uh, because this might be a shocker to you. I don't know. I am not a dancer, all right? Um, I know it's shocking, right? But um, 
I thought of a dance illustration when I was thinking of the way the law works with, with Jesus, right? So if you think of the Jesus kind of dances with the law, the illustration is this, Jesus is the lead dancer. His grace, his work, his life, they are leading the entire time. So as you, uh, as you look at the dance that is happening between Jesus and the law, you keep your eyes and you keep your heart on Jesus. He is leading the entire way. Law is the secondary dancer who is following the lead of the main dancer, Jesus. But with Jesus in the lead, I believe when Jesus is in the lead and your eyes are in him as the main dancer, you begin to see some of the beauty and the majesty and the grace of the secondary dancer, which is law. So when you see Jesus as the lead dancer and you, you notice some things about the law, that the law becomes a way for us to see the lead dancer, Jesus, who was the law become human flesh. The law becomes a reminder, as we've talked about, a reminder of the grace that we desperately need. The law becomes a reminder of the Holy Spirit power that we need to live righteous lives. The law becomes this beautiful, secondary dance partner. Now, Christians all over the world, they have unintentionally made law the primary dance partner. And their hope for salvation is in the law. Their example is in the law. Their eyes are on the law. And when the law becomes a primary dance partner, you know what the law becomes? A source of pride. It becomes a, a source of judgment of others. It becomes a place of anger. But if we can keep Jesus as the lead dancer, the lead dancer, the law becomes this beautiful, incredible, noble thing that points us to Jesus. So to answer Paul's original question, the law is not opposed to the promise of God, right? Made to Abraham. The law is not opposed to it, but the law is not the promise either. The law is not the promise. Let me say it to you this way. The law does not have any sustainable ability to impart life. You've tried it. We all have. You've tried to follow the, the law. And whenever I see these books that come out, like I saw a book, Live, living, uh, a, living a Year According to the Law or something, I laugh. No, you haven't. No, you haven't, right? It is, it, we, we can't do it. it. The law does not impart life. The law does not have the ability to justify us and make us righteous. The law has held us in custody. A lot of the Old Testament was the people of God being held in custody so that we could appreciate true freedom in Christ. The law is like a jail that way. Now, the law was a benevolent, uh, a, benevolent hold, a benevolent holder. In other words, God kept his promises during that time when we were held in custody. God kept his promises, he allowed for grace, he, uh, he honored his people in that way. He was a benevolent, the law was benevolent in that way, but the law was meant to hold us in custody to appreciate true freedom of Christ. The law was meant to be that schoolmaster that led us to our teacher and left us with the teacher. And then the law kind of backs away and says, you're with the teacher now. Hopefully you don't need the principal from there on out, right? <laughs> the, law, the law leaves us with the teacher. And then the law is a secondary dance partner that is meant for us to see the glory and the majesty of the lead dancer, Jesus. So no, we're not throwing the law out. We're not. Law does too many good things. But our primary focus, our chief focus, is on Jesus. And the law, when it's properly understood, the law points us to him. And he is the fulfillment of the promise. 
So in him, you find blessing. In him, you find life. In him, you find grace. In him, you find an example. In him, you find spirit. In him, you find every single thing that you need, and I do too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his life. May we keep the law in its proper place so that we can keep your son Jesus in his proper place, which is the best place. And may the law point us to our savior for our example. May the law point us to our savior for grace. May the law point us to our savior in every single way possible that we might be changed by him in every way possible. And Jesus is better. Thank you so much for this gift. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, it's been uh, good having you here. We're going to receive we're going to receive communion together. Uh, this uh, kind of freedom weekend, the the weekend that we celebrate freedom as a nation, pales in comparison to what we're celebrating right now. Right, that, that we are going to celebrate our freedom as the people of God, and this is kind of a ritual that people all over the world are, are celebrating on the Lord's Day. And if you think about that, I mean, uh, um, it, it is a, a good thing uh, to want God to bless America. It, it is. But man, God is blessing people all over the world through his son, Jesus. So there are people in Africa right now being blessed by Jesus. Right? There are people in Iran this morning being blessed by Jesus. There, there are people in Egypt right now being blessed by Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate blessing. And so this is a feast and this is a meal that we get to share with the entire world. And it is a reminder that, yeah, it is good to be an American. I'm thankful for this country. But blessing, blessing is found in Jesus. And uh, it is a good reminder. And so we're going to receive communion together. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing uh, Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And it is just a reminder that he is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, that the entire world was going to be blessed through Abraham's line. And eventually, read Matthew 1. That, that's a, one of the purposes of Matthew 1, is to show how that line came from Abraham and eventually ended with Jesus to bring about that blessing. And this is an opportunity for us to say thank you to our Lord and to say thank you to our Savior and to, um, uh, to just be reminded of the blessing that comes from him. So when those cups are stacked, uh, th that are stacked are passed, you can pull those out and just spend some time with the Lord, thanking him for his sacrifice. I'll come back up when everyone's been served and we'll receive it together as a church family.